All right. Good a listeners and viewers. This is the Tripod Live Show with Winnie and Clarkie. We're here to review round one of the NRL. The footy is back. How good is that? Before we start, let's jump to my co-host, Winnie. How was your weekend? Mate, mixed weekend results. Like, we didn't have a profitable weekend for best bets, but we did hit a nice multi. We hit take on toppy, and both our teams won. And I will just say, if you tipped, as I kind of play with our graphics, I appreciate. Sorry that doesn't seem to be the right size there, but we'll get there. Um if you tipped eight out of eight, let us know in the comments. You are either a rugby league genius or at the very least you're a proud Queenslander because all five Queensland teams won this weekend if you count the Melbourne Storm, mate. So I know that's why you're grinning from ear to ear. I am grinning from ear to ear. And um, if you're a Blues fan, then it's, it's probably going to be as frustrating as my green screen, just slightly not making the picture there. Uh, but what to expect for this one, guys. We are going to go through, review each game, give our thoughts on it, have a look at some of our bets, see how we want review our mixed matchup, our better same game multi. And of course, the component that we love most about this show is it is live. It is straight after the footy. We want to hear what you guys have to say as we go along. So please be involved in the comments. But with that being said, should we jump right away, Winnie? Let's jump into Thursday night. We had the Eels. I'll tell you what, mate, I'll interrupt you. Um, We'll do, we'll always recap our best bets, first of all, at the top of the show, I think, for a, kind of like to be accountable for that. Great, and then we'll go game by game. So although I don't really necessarily want to do that because I'll bring up the three best bets and the opening best bet of the round was the Knights plus six against the Warriors, but they lost by eight with a late try. So that was yeah. a losing best bet. The following game, we had the Broncos with the first half handicap needed to be within six points. Well, they led by six points. So you didn't really sweat too much that one. And we had another win on our same game multi provided by better, but we'll talk about that a little bit later. So that got us back to one and one. And then North Queensland Cowboys minus seven and a half. Um, looked at goods at 18 nil up inside the first half, but then 18 unanswered by the Raiders ended up being a really tight game. Again, we'll talk about these in detail. So only one and two on the best bets. We didn't win the mixed matchup this week. So if you're new to kind of following my mixed matchups, you only followed in the World Cup. That's the first one you've ever seen us lose. So apologies for that. Again, just didn't nail these picks. although. Um, I would ha- I would take them all again, but we'll talk about that as we get to the games. Clarkey has take on Toppy every week, picks one try score. He hit AJ Brimson in the game that we just watched as his Titans saluted. And the same game, it was $7 odds that did get up. So as I say, mixed results. Um, you know, we can't bury the lead, which is the, the Dolphins getting the win earlier this afternoon. But we'll go through all the games. As Clarkey said, we'll rewind to Thursday to kick it off. Absolutely. And I mean, I've got to apologize there. What more can Jacob do for me? I've got the agenda right in front of me that says to review bets, but I was just so eager to talk some footy that I jumped straight past it. So my apologies there. Um, as you go, guys, let us know some of your best bets that you hit in the comment section. It'd be cool to see some of those pop up. Uh, but with the important stuff out the way, let's get on to Thursday night footy. The Eels took on the Melbourne Storm. The Melbourne Storm extend their first round winning streak that started in 2002. Over two decades, and they defeat the Eels 16 to 12. Got a few notes here that I took from the game. The first one was around the Storm forward pack. Uh, they looked noticeably flat, and their discipline wasn't quite where it's been for the Eels in previous years. And whilst they did look flat, I thought the only real perk they had there was Christian Welch's offloads. He finished with five, and I thought it was a great game back. On the previous show, I remember saying he was coming back from an ACL it's an Achilles. Apologies there, guys, but that was a great return for him. Top four, you guys remember me saying, I said top four for Melbourne Storm, but I'm assuming they remain injury-free. And, well, it's not up to the best start because, uh, as we know, a few of their players did get injured, which we'll touch on shortly. The interesting thing for this one was, Winnie, I actually wrote at about the 60-minute mark, Storm have shot themselves in the foot. And at that stage, I did have the eels. I, I saw them coming over the top. But ironically, it was the Eels that shot themselves in the foot at the very end, which cost them the game, whereas the Storm were able to defend a lot of their errors uh, that they made. Against a forward pack for the Eels, it was it, it noticeably was missing experience. There was some decision-making there that was really questionable. Uh, one example I can provide was the Melbourne Storm had just made a tackle. There was about five players around the ruck. And I can't remember who, but a, a Parramatta Eels forward ran an inside ball straight into the five players, which was just crazy because there had to be some space out wide. Eels did not look very polished, but I saw enough, and I know that it's only round one, so there's not 
too much concerns there. My big takeaway, Winnie, before I pass to you, is the injury woes. Xavier Coates, one to two weeks. Karen Munster, two to three weeks. They are set for some time on the sidelines. The Storm have already started with injuries. Do you still see them overcoming that this year and, and being the team that we know them to be? Well, you know, in our season preview, I had the Storm, I think, seventh. I had them to not have such a strong year. Although on Wednesday, I still said, push come to shove, I will tip them to win Thursday night. And that impeccable round one record does factor in, as does the weekend Eels back row uh, that they're going to be dealing with for the first few weeks of the competition as well. So, yeah, it's not great signs for the Storm. They'll be so happy that they got that win. The way that the game was, which was crazy, and for us to get Golden Point, the opener for the season, was unreal. Whoever lost was going to be shattered in that game because I wrote in my notes, this game was full of misses and a little bit of magic because I think of missed opportunities. I think of Mitchell Moses missing a pretty makeable conversion early in the game on the opening try. You know, things play out differently for sure, but maybe you're up eight late in the game instead of six. Uh, I think of... There was a key moment at about the hour mark when the scores were level where Munster put the ball on the absolute money uh, kick across the field for Xavier Coates. If you want anyone to catch a contested bomb, it's him. But as you said, he was injured. He spilled that. The Eels got up the other end and Hodgson laid on a try. That was to Junior Polo to get him um, in front. And that was a beautiful touch. And it was good to see Hodgson kind of gelling with his forward pack there. And then, But the Eels obviously didn't hold on to that lead. Um, and that was where the magic comes in. Munster, that sleight of hand off a scrum play that leads to the try by, uh, by um, Tonomapea. Of course, we get to Golden Point. There's more misses. In fact, misses at the end of regulation by both sides. Mitchell Moses has a field goal shot that's probably going to go over, but hits the head of Garlic. Uh, again, both sides have opportunities to win it. And then ultimately, another bit of magic, Harry Grant just seizing the moment in Golden Point, scoring the winning try. And from a betting perspective, I was probably closer to taking Eels with the handicap on Wednesday because they were at home and I thought the teams were pretty evenly matched and that the line was two and a half. So thank goodness I didn't go that direction uh, because two and a half, plus two and a half in the Eels is a pretty harsh, bad beat. But it is another evidence of always taking the best line available because all preseason, you could have got plus four and a half or plus five and a half on the Eels. You needed those extra points when the final margin ended up being four. I tell you what, Winnie, I've got a good story about that because I try to get the graphics done on my page. Um, so I had a 13-12 storm and a 13-12 <laughs> and I thought I'm safe here. And as soon as Harry Grant made that, I just had to run to the computer and quickly update another graphic. But uh, yeah, death, taxes and the Melbourne Storm winning in round one. It's an incredible record and somehow they just find a way to get it done. We moved to Friday night, the 6pm game there. The Warriors defeated the Newcastle Knights 20-12. to uh, we unfortunately did go down on a best bet in this one. A few things we wish had gone our way. A really, really close one, but I'll leave Jacob to discuss the bet side of that a little bit further. Both sides very sluggish in attack, I thought. Uh, it did look quite windy, and I think that that did favour the Knights in the first half. As you guys might hear a big storm out the side of my house at the moment, sorry. Uh, but I think it did help the Warriors in the second half. That wind looked like a genuine advantage there. Tyson Frizzell leaving the field for a HIA. A big moment. It hurts the Knights most definitely. But the biggest HIA that hurt them is Kalen Ponga. There was 13 to go. He just had two nice touches prior. Um, and the independent medical doctor who KP was not happy about post-game ruled he must leave the field. One thing I will say for both these sides, all things considered, I think they both defended really well. Um, it's round one. You're not expected to be at your best. And I'll say especially for the Knights because they were down to 12 and were still defending really, really well there. As we saw last year, a sin bin, I believe on average, was worth about eight points to the other team, which the Knights did hold up their end of the bargain there. Warriors completion rate winning, 87%. And I just feel if the Warriors can do this more consistently, they will win a lot more games. It's when their completion rates down around that 65, 70% mark. They just, they're just not quite good enough to get the job done. Not that most teams are when it's that low. Main takeaway from this one, Winnie, and this is a tough one to put you on the spot. It's in regards to the independent doctor intervening from a bunker in Sydney and saying, saying Kalen Pongi must leave the field. Did you, do you have any reflections on how the NRL might manage it better? Or do you think the way it is, it's got to be a player first safety approach, no changes needed? Well, there's no perfect system. If they're not independent, you're always going to have the ones of, oh, a team won't 
put player safety first when the game's on the line or if it's a grand final or whatever. If you have independent, to be honest, in real time, it was a loose ball. It was near the Warriors' try line. Ponga had a chance to get it. He did collide with a Warriors defender and he kind of looked like he copped a hit high. In the replay, you know, maybe he took it more in the chest or whatever. So it is pretty unlucky to have to be pulled off like mandatory 15 minutes of real time and the game was on the line in the Knights' hands and they withstood that uh, that pressure and playing with a man down and the game was there to be won. But yeah, sure, that's unlucky. But you know what's not unlucky was the try they let in that extended the Warriors' lead from two to eight. Um on their try line, giving up a try to you, to the dummy half after a stoppage in play, he somehow sells a dummy to two defenders. You're not desperate enough. So, I mean, it was a tight one. The type of game I kind of expected where I said I thought the Knights could win or go close. And if you watch the game, they certainly could. In fact, they did look really good in the first 20. They had the lead. New Zealand got back on top of the game, to be fair. New Zealand led at the break. But again, the Knights retook the lead in the second half. So when you've got a lead and you've got plus six as our best bet, it's not like we even needed the Knights to win. I should also say from a punting perspective, that line was crunched into plus two and a half. All reasons I was feeling nice and confident. Then I was worried when the, um, who was it that got sent to the bin? Phoenix Crossland in the bin and the Knights were on their line. They had to survive like seven or eight straight sets on their line. But once they did, I thought they've done really well here. They're going to go on and win this. They just couldn't find that perfect touch. But again. Instead of saying why the Knights didn't get it done, I want to give all the credit to New Zealand. The defence was awesome. You talked about the completion rate, but that desperation goal line defence, headlined by Charles Nickel-Klukstad, a couple of dead set try savers that looked like certain tries. One was on Ponga. I know he's not the strongest player, but he's so quick and he broke the line. He was through and he, um, he was held up by CNK. And they, that was the story that New Zealand had the lead and just would not let go of it. So... I'll give them all the credit that they deserve to win that. Of course, it's it's salt in the wounds that uh, they got that late try that extended the lead. We lost our best bet. And then, of course, I was really I was really um, calling out the Knights to have a good year this year, and people have already let me know that I was wrong about that. Personally, I'm not going to say – I'm not going to give away the Knights' whole season yet because um, it was a tough game to play New Zealand in their opening um, match on home soil, and New Zealand was inspired, and New Zealand just wanted it a little bit more at the end of the day. Yeah, certainly I will offer. I had the Knights as high as ninth when I did my uh, initial ladder, so I was certainly high on them as well. Uh, Jeremy Kerwin had a comment roll through there where he thought that Ponga stayed down. I have seen that uh, a lot around social media this weekend. I don't think so, just because I think from the perspective that if he does stay down there, there's no penalty there uh, because it's just incidental contact. Uh, I don't think he was really playing for a penalty there. I think he genuinely might have been dazed momentarily. Um, and it just wasn't aware of it. And that's the way concussions work. They affect every single person different, which is why it's such uh, it's such a, a tough subject. One subject that's not tough for Winnie, and that's the better same game multi. So we'll start with the Friday night. The Penrith Panthers lose at home to the Brisbane Broncos, 13 to 12. I don't know where to start with this one because it was the third game of 2023 and it threw a massive shock result. I love that. I know people that backed our better same game multi loved it also. So, Winnie, it's your turn. Over to you to both. Tell us about that, mate. A phenomenal same game multi. Thanks, mate. Yeah, put a bit of work into this to get it organised. We gave you the heads up on Wednesday that it would come out on Friday afternoon, which it did, and then we posted it on all our social channels as well. And, again, we've got a Tripod Discord channel where you can even opt in for notifications. I'm new to Discord, but a lot of people tell me they really enjoy it, so we just made it another way to find our content and as I scoot over here let's relive that same game that we kicked the season off with uh three legs and we went Crichton to score and he did score the opening try which was pretty nice we had the Broncos plus six and a half first half which was just the tripod best bet so no further explanation needed and then I went neither team to 30 again leveraging on the fact that we spoke about on Wednesday and in the season preview that the the Panthers just are not in top gear yet and that's by design. They're not going to be. It's just impossible what they've been through. And to give themselves the best chance to win the competition for a third straight time, they're going to actually need a taper somewhat. And that made them vulnerable in this game, um, which is why we went against them for a best bet and against them um, with the same game multi. So very juicy start in terms of how I saw the game. You know what? It was very similar to the World Club Challenge game. In fact, same score, 13-12, Panthers defeated some wet weather involved, the visiting team getting the big upset win and deserving it as well. Brisbane 
um, responded to that early try by the Panthers. You know, of course, I'm nervous because I've just watched the Knights give up a 12-10 lead and lose 20-12. to And then next best bet's Broncos first half. And I watched the Panthers score a 70-meter try, even though I was happy it was Crichton. Not happy then to be down 6-0. But um, Penrith didn't score it. Uh, for a long time after that one. And uh, in fact, it was Brisbane that got a 12-6 lead. And I talked about how Crichton might want to really punctuate that he wants to be there because it was in the headlines that he'd signed for a new club. Likewise for the Broncos, they're sent to Herbie Farnworth, who's not going to leave at the end of 2023, had a double. In fact, that was the reason Brisbane was up at halftime. And overall, I thought Brisbane's forward pack just really stepped up and really matched it with Penrith all night long, if not won the battle there. You know, Cobbo, we said, would have errors, but boy, is he dynamic. Um, he he was outstanding. He had some outstanding touches as well as the fact that um, as a guy that usually plays wing, he should probably be a bit more wary of the sideline, bundled over the sideline twice. Uh, Adam Reynolds made it a seven-point game late on, which kind of iced it. Although when Sonny Luke came on for the Panthers, you really got excited. He was a spark plug. He was the scorer of the try that cut the deficit to one. I'm just going to add a sidebar here. Some people are interested in this kind of strategy stuff. I'm absolutely taking the two. When I'm down seven and there's five minutes to go and I get a penalty, I'm taking the two because you don't know you're instantly going to score a try. You want to be within five points. You've got Cleary who's going to make it six if you score a try and you just go you just go hell for leather for the try. Now, I know it worked out for Penrith because they did score like 30 seconds later, scored a six-pointer. And in fact, Cleary had a shot at a two-point field goal which would have snatched the win. Uh, which then led to some chaotic events where Cobo spilled it on his trial line. Ultimately, Luai's offside. Ultimately, Brisbane escapes with the win, and it was a great win for the boys from the Olympic City. If people are worried about Penrith, I'd say don't panic because we kind of said this was very predictable in terms of a slow start. And if Liam Martin grounds that ball off a great opportunity off a ricochet kick a little earlier in the second half, maybe Penrith still would have won the game. Yeah, absolutely. It was a, a very... Very interesting game. Dare I say game of the round because it was not the highest scoring game, but certainly the defense was on show from both sides. I will echo what you said there. As soon as it started raining, I got World Club Challenge vibes and I thought, well, this kind of tightens up the Panthers. They've got to play up the middle now, which I do think plays to the Broncos' strengths of Carrigan, Haas, Flegler, those big dynamic forwards. One takeaway I've got from this that I just cannot believe was the amount of six against that the Panthers gave on fourth and fifth tackle, I the, the discipline was just not there. there. It happened on multiple occasions, and it just put them under pressure where their defense was good enough to hold it out, but certainly it zapped their energy and didn't give them the same attacking flair coupled with uh, the rainy weather. I'm stating the obvious here, but the Panthers so far do not look like the same side we've known in recent years. Stephen Croydon, I know he did score our first try, and that was obviously awesome for our better multi. But I did think he had some pretty bad decision-making and some bad touches in that game. And I think on the Bulldogs, not, not just yet, but if that was to continue, certainly there'd be a discussion around have we made the wrong decision here moving into fullback. Sonny Luke, I can't add anything else to what you said other than he was awesome. And I think they should bring him into the games earlier because he's quite a similar hooky, hooker to Apisai Coruscant. A resilient Broncos side, resilience that we've not seen in many years because the Panthers averaged 27 points last year. Even if you give them all of their uh, opportunities that they didn't ice, they still wouldn't have hit 27. And I think that the Broncos, I cannot give them enough credit for their incredible, incredible defense. But I am seeing the Cobo performance a little bit different to you. I had a note here to pass to you from my takeaway that I don't think he should be the fullback. I don't think he has the IQ passing game, or the fitness, as exampled by that almost disastrous uh, final touch. And so I had a note here saying, if Walsh is unavailable next week, do you think Herbie Farnworth should be given a chance at fullback? But it sounds like you might disagree with that. It, it, Cobo is one of those players. He's going to take some things off the table, but what he brings to the table, I still thought just, yeah, he, he's a threat every time he touches the ball and even some some strong carries out of yardage, but also, you know, escaping the end goal, um, catching some high balls. I know he had the errors, but even, you know, Kevy accepts that. And Kevy's such a good coach. He'll get the best out of Cobo. And that's this is all hypothetical if um, Walsh is unavailable. But, no, I think um, yeah, Brisbane's going to be very pleased with getting in there and, and escaping with the two points. Absolutely. And at minimum, the Broncos have three options at fullback, Cobo, Farmworth, 
and they have Reese Walsh there. Just quickly before we move on, guys, if you do want to get involved responsibly on our better same game multis, the link is in our caption description here. And of course, once you do sign up and support our show, make sure you send the tripod or Winnie uh, a message there if you do indeed uh, choose to sign up. Saturday, the Manly Seagulls were awesome, defeating the Bulldogs 31 to 6. I think this game was probably a wake up call for the Bulldogs and their fans, Winnie. I, I don't like to. Um, you know, get on the wrong side of the fan base. But a lot of Bulldogs fans were telling me through this all season, mate, we're top four, we're top eight at minimum. But from what I saw in that game, at least, and it, it's only it's only one sample size. It's not like I could, I've got a huge uh, sample size. I think they're still missing half a spine. I don't think Kyle Flanagan is their long-term solution at fullback. And I certainly don't think Hayes Perham is their long-term solution um, at fullback there. So half a spine still missing there. One bonus for them. This is not related to the NRL game, so I'll be quick. Carl Olipau, the uh, young gun they signed, he was awesome in New South Wales Cup. Two try involvements, eight tackle breaks. He outplayed Josh Reynolds. So maybe we should we could see him into the NRL sooner than we think. 65% completion rate for the Doggies. That, that sums it up. They had to make an extra 70 tackles as a result of that 65% completion rate. Anytime you're making an extra 70 tackles and completing at 65%, you just don't have the energy uh, to complete. For Kyle Flanagan, though, I will say the sin bin was rubbish, in my opinion. Um, I'm never usually too strong, in my opinion. I like to look at both sides of the coin, but I thought that was absolutely rubbish. The contact there was not worthy of a sin bin. Sure, I can wear a penalty. Fair enough. But I cannot wear that that was a sin bin offense. It was... Barely, barely, barely contact in that. Um, but my big takeaway was Tom Trevojevic because there was an occasion there when he, with 25 to go, he had open space and he chose not to open up. He intentionally made a decision to take it cautious there. And I thought, hmm, okay. No, maybe he just didn't think he had as much space as it looked like. Then a few moments later, he makes another break and immediately he's looking left, looking right. He's not looking to run like Turbo was when he was at his best a few years ago. He was looking to pass immediately. So I do think in the back of his mind there, he might be thinking a little bit about that hamstring, which is which is to be expected, I suppose, first game back. But my main takeaway from this game was the importance of DCE to this side. Four try involvements, the first hat-trick of his career. Dare I say the best game of his career since 2011. And Reid Marnie, he is going to be an amazing signing this year. He competed on everything. Uh, whereas other signings like Kikau weren't quite in the game. Reed Marnie went looking for the game. And whilst he did play very well, the other leaders in the Bulldogs side weren't quite there. And so the question I'm going to pose to you from my takeaway from this game is, do you think the Doggies might have a little bit of a leadership issue where they don't have that veteran or that standout player to really lead them? When times gets tough, the completion rate's not where it needs to be and you're defending a lot. Do the Doggies have a leadership issue? Do you think, Winnie? I think you nailed it there when you talked about the spine. And these days, I feel like modern game, you include lock in your spine. So you could actually say they're 60% short of a complete spine to contend, which we spoke about preseason, which is why neither of us had them in the top eight. But let's not condemn the dogs either after one game. Um, I, I did actually make a note that Luke Thompson, losing him for the whole season, and there's a veteran forward, that is a tough loss. But look, the reason they lost this game, you touched on completion rate. I had it here. Like, it's perfect conditions. And they had 15 errors. That's the story right there. Two of the errors are directly handed a try to Manly. So you kind of take them away. It wouldn't have been such a big deficit. Now, a comment coming in from Matty O'Keefe, who was a staunch Seagulls fan, talking about Tommy making business decisions. And that's the note I had. I had the word cautious as well. But I just think he played with the handbrake on, partly because you would be very nervous after what he's been through the last kind of 12 months. And also the game was comfortably in hand. I think as the season goes on, he's obviously going to open up, especially in games where they need him. I really thought, uh, and I would also shout out the Undertaker while I've got him there too, because I believe he went 6-0 and on his bets this weekend. So there's plenty of sharp minds in the tripod, Facebook group and Discord, again, sharing tips beyond myself, who uh, who didn't have a winning weekend, I'm sorry to say. Nevertheless, we're here to face up and um, and face the music. And if I would have had a play in this game, probably would have leaned to Manly. And that was obviously the right way to see this one, because... While Turbo might not have quite looked like 2021 Turbo, dare I say it, Manly looked like 2021 Manly. That team that really rode waves of momentum, really pulled sides apart, played 
aggressive attacking footy. They certainly had a day out on Sunday. Um, yeah, the only difference I had um, from what I witnessed yesterday compared to 2021 was DCE scoring three tries and Turbo only one. It was usually the other way around a couple of years ago. So, again, now you look back at the preseason form and you say, is that not a mirage? You know, is this the reinvigoration of Seabold? You're going to add Schuster to this team. The Eagles um, Eagles fans are certainly going to be confident and, uh, and sky high after this one. And going back to the Bulldogs, a lot of work to do. But, again, that was to be expected. They also have a new coach and some new faces in key positions. And I certainly echo when Manly play expansive football, that's when they're at their best, you know, in their own end, attacking, they don't care. And I think that's only going to get better when Josh Schuster comes back at 5'8", because he is a really creative player. Uh, last touching on, let's last uh, touch on Turbo before we move on. Roger Fabri, a noted sprint coach, actually said that he believes there's too much damage done to Turbo and uh, he wouldn't touch him at all with where he's at in his career. So certainly agree that he was making a business decision and just gaining that confidence back. Now, at this stage, guys we, guys, we are halfway through the review of the round. We would usually pause and go to Tristan from Top Sport, but Tristan is unavailable this week. So instead, we'll just give some love to Top Sport, one of our favorite sponsors, and uh, we will say, hope you're having a great weekend, Tristan. Uh, Winnie and I certainly back that you are. That would be paying a dollar and one cent if there was a market for that. And if you guys do want to join Tripod to take advantage of our mixed matchups and some of their other markets, the sign-up code is TPLIVE. And of course, like always, guys, make sure you're messaging Tripod or Winnie on his Facebook if you do decide to sign up and support the show. We move on to the Raiders v. the Cowboys, or did you want to talk about the Sharks and Rabbitohs first? Oh, sorry, I didn't mean to put that one up. Um, yes, you're right. That next game should be Cowboys-Raiders. I was going to say with regard to Tristan, yeah, that's being kind. I think he's had a skinful. I think he's celebrating the fact that he had a rare mixed matchup win from his perspective. Um, but, yeah, he said he was just too inebriated to give us a video. So we hope he's having a good time. A um, few upsets usually um, make the bookies pretty happy. And a couple. there was another big upset, of course, today that we'll get to. This game, nearly an upset. Um, but I was certainly upset, as I said, after giving out minus 7.5 on the Cowboys and closing 8.5 everywhere and getting out to that big lead, Clarkie. What happened after that? Man, I've got no idea because I was, uh, dare I say, uh, a little bit of a uh, an early celebration there from myself. When the Cowboys went up 18-0, I thought, well, for sure here, they're, they're, they're getting home because we know how great the Cowboys are in the second half based off last year. And certainly in that first half, they were awesome all throughout the dominant side. And then there was that try in the final two minutes to Emre Gula. And at the time, I dismissed it as a genuine outlier. I just thought that is just the Cowboys have let their guard down for a moment. But I've got no concerns. They are going to go on and do well in this second half. But you know what? The Cowboys competed more. That's as simple as this was. The Raiders, sorry, the Raiders were competing more. My apologies there, guys. They just wanted it a little bit more. They had more errors. They had a lower completion rate, more errors, more penalties, and more missed tackles. Usually, you're not going to win a game of footy with those stats, but the Raiders wanted it more. And there was a few moments where their tries looked lucky off ricochets or Cowboys jumping up and missing the ball. But you know what? If you're not competing and putting yourself in that that situation to capitalize on that opportunity, then the opportunity is not there. And because the Raiders were competing so hard, they were able to take full advantage of those quote-unquote lucky moments. Uh, but all it came down to was Chad Townsend, the field goal, the Iceman, I really think that Townsend is the glue that holds this Cowboys side together. I don't expect throughout this year he will get as big a raps as a Scott Drinkwater or a Valentine Holmes or, or someone of their caliber, but make no mistake, without Chad Townsend, the ship sinks at the Cowboys. He is so important to what they're doing, in my opinion. My big takeaway from this one, Winnie, is the Cowboys' round one woes. Their last uh, win in round one was in 2019 against the Dragons. So they were able to snap it this year, but only just. And I do wonder if we factor that into some of our predictions when round one rolls around next year. Uh, but with that said, how did you see this one? Well, what's the old adage, a game of two halves? I'd say that's, yeah, it was a clear case of this in this game. Um, and as I say, we're on minus seven and a half. It's all going the Cowboys' way. It's 18-0 up to 35 minutes. The Raiders had barely crossed halfway and hadn't had a play the ball inside the Cowboys' 30-meter line. The Cowboys did make one error on their line just before halftime, gave the Raiders one opportunity, and the Raiders took it. As you say, 
pretty simple try, crash over, and pulled the score back to 18-6, which in, that hurt me because we had our mixed matchup. We needed the Raiders under 12 points, and I was kind of worried that um, Cowboys were obviously feeling too comfortable in front and not defending desperately enough, but I thought, hey, you, you can see that try just for halftime. That might snap them back into gear because now they're going to know that they need to keep their minds on the job. It wasn't the case. As you said, the team that whose calling card all of last year and what they built their success on was what? Giving everything, fighting the opponent for 80 minutes, you just keep coming. They did the opposite. Um, they were second best in the second half. The Raiders scored a couple of more tries. One of them, you know, a bit of luck, but uh, the Cowboys kept on going for short restarts and that did burn them. What, they went for it one too many times and White actually strides in and uh, leveled the score up at 18-all. And then the Cowboys could have easily lost this game. And ultimately, they'll be happy because they they snuck out of there. And I feel like a good team, when they um, don't play well and they still win, They kind of, the coaches kind of like that because they can treat it like a loss, but they can still bank the two points. So I feel like North Queensland's ultimately will be happy, but I'm not because we copped the L on the uh, best bet there. Four side in our preview for yourself. So I lost good? you for a second. I did. I did have the Cowboys top four. Yeah. And so I asked, do you think this was a bit of an outlier of a game? Are you still keen on them, or do you think they have been brought back to the pack a little bit, or just too early to tell? One thought that crossed my mind, and this is before Brisbane played on Friday night. I did start to think, are we sure the Cowboys are the best team from Queensland? But maybe that's just because the more I thought about the Broncos, the more confident I felt about them, and I think that's a that's a fair question that could come up in the next couple of weeks. But, look, I wouldn't be too worried because I think we saw the best of the Cowboys in the first half, and it's not like suddenly they're going to be unfit and throwing away games second half. So I think it was more of a case of um, it came too easy to them in the first half, and they probably actually took their foot off the gas a little bit. You know what? I say this every year. I'm guilty of it, but I do think that this year will be a very, very close year with some of the elite teams from last year slowly coming back to the pack. Uh, the Sharks versus Rabbitohs to close out Super Saturday. We had the Rabbitohs picking up a 27-18 victory. Winnie, this one kind of went how I expected, if I'm being honest, for the Sharks. Just because Nico Hines wasn't there. But I will offer that Braden Trindle played very well, all things considered, coming in on sort of short notice there to replace uh, the Dahlia medalist in Nico Hines. Someone who played better than Braden Trindle, though, was his opposite seven, Lachlan Ilias who was huge on both ends of the field on defense and with the ball in his hand. The telling moment of this game for me, it was the Sharks in the final 10 minutes where I hate to say it, but they were absolutely atrocious. I'm not able to put a finger on why, but they were not able to finish a set. They were just making error after error and they gave themselves no chance of winning that game. At that point, when these errors, came, I thought, well, there's no comeback here. But I was nervous for the Rabbitohs at one stage in this game at another stage. And that was when Arrow went down with a hamstring and Totola was ruled out with the HIA. Uh, I will say for South, though, my biggest takeaway from them in this game was it was great to see their attack varied a little bit. Uh, because last year they were a really strong side down that left hand. Uh, but we did see in this game they varied it to the left, to the right. Um, Campbell Graham with the two tries on the right hand, for example, there. And I think Latrell was a big reason of that because he did shift left and right side of the field and create that extra number. Sure, there's his match uh, match fitness continues to increase. We'll see more and more of that of Latrell, which is a, a big, big, scary thought for opposition. My big takeaway from the game as a whole, and again, I, I feel like I'm kind of putting you on the spot here, um, but it was the Wade Graham shot. My God, that is what brings crowds in. That is what I, when I think of why I loved footy as a kid, that was it. And I do think the NRL are guilty of, oh, that's there's some dangerous contact there. Go for 10. And then the next sentence is, oi, make sure you cut that for a promotion. We've got to put that in the next <laughs> promo for next week. Um, and so I'm going to throw to you, what did you make of the shot? Did you think it was worthy of a sin bin or did you think it was a legal shot? Well, in real time, it was spectacular. And I immediately thought it had to be high. But the to, I can't remember which... um. Which bunny copped the hit? I can't remember. He, to Maybe his credit, Mawali. he did get up. Mawali, he got up, played the ball, and the, the set played on. Um, and, in fact, the Rabbitohs actually scored at the end of that set. Then they reviewed the hit and said, like, that Wade Graham had jumped in the air and made contact mm. with the head. It wasn't that. But it wasn't truly headhunting. It was kind of more probably upper chest, but a bit of shoulder to the face. And because he hit him so hard, I actually think that led to 
Graham propelling his body, and he was trying to change the game. Uh, it is exactly what you said. Like, we love to see those hits, but they're going to be a relic of the past, unfortunately, and you understand it from a player safety perspective. So I can kind of cop it. It didn't decide the game. It was an entertaining game, as you say, and I think kind of class prevailed in the key positions for the Rabbitohs. They executed when it counted. Some nice backline plays. I think Campbell Graham had a double. And, you know, mm-hmm. it's the it's the threat that Latrell poses. Sometimes it's not always him making the highlight reel plays, but the defences are looking at him. And he's actually got silky skills as well, and that uh, helped lay on a couple of tries. And you're right, at halftime, it was uh, 12 all. And the Bunnies were down to 15. But as you say, as I said then, the um, the class really got them home the second half because they did win the second half 15 points to six. And it would have been a closer finish if not for what you touched on as well. The Sharkies dropping the ball four times in the final 10 minutes and another occasion got a penalty with a chance to attack and couldn't, couldn't find touch. So uh, a comedy of errors late in terms of a... Whether they would have won, I don't know, but they definitely had a chance to cover the line, which, remember, was five and a half, and they were down eight. And um, that would have been a tough watch if you had a Sharkies ticket with the handicap because um, they threw it away uh, in front of their home fans. Uh, they'll be hoping, well, I don't know if you've got any mail on Nico Hines. Originally, it was like he's out for this game, but then people are saying it could be more serious. You know, that's the big question for Sharks fans right now. Definitely, I think they lost their composure late. I, I 100% agree there. As for Nico Hines, James Hooper of Fox Sports is reporting it is a calf strain and therefore he will not return next week. However, Craig Fitzgibbon in the post-game press conference did say he was a chance. So it's kind of, do you believe the coach or do you believe the journalist who uh, has the mail? I will say Campbell Graham was awesome. Going to make a bold call now. Suwali'i and Campbell Graham are ahead of the Fox for origin. I know it's bold. Freddie loves a tall winger. Now, it's time for us both to fess up here because we both got this one wrong uh, horribly because the Dolphins were awesome. 28 to 18 over the Roosters. I will offer, I did say the plus 18 and a half for the Dolphins was attractive. At a, I think it was about $1.90. And I mean, if you had that bet, you would have felt safe for most of the 80 minutes. Uh, but I won't take the credit because I didn't offer it as a formal bet. Dolphins resolve in defense. And I'm not talking... Technically, I'm not talking for sustained periods on their goal line. I'm talking genuine, like, old-school Bulldogs, dogs of war mentality, where they were just coming off the line and whacking blokes, uh, in particular Kafusi. He was awesome today in that regard. Uh, I thought that really set the tone for them. And I do believe, like we sort of said in our prediction show, they're going to feed off that crowd and feed off the occasion. Certainly they did that in defense. My question, I hate to say this, Dolphins fans, but... Is that sustainable for the next 26 weeks? I probably don't think so. That was a lot of effort on defense and um, an occasion that really rose the tension in that arena. But I don't know if it's sustainable for 26 weeks. But what I do know is that's a team that can follow a game plan. Because I got no doubt Wayne Bennett said, go out there and bash them, set the tone. This is your only chance to play for the first time for this club. Um, Definitely lived up to that. Jeremy Marshall King, another player winning. I have to give him a huge rap. Uh, all preseason, I said he's a value signing. I really like what I saw at the Bulldogs. I believe in this guy. And I do think he can go to another level under Wayne Bennett. We've definitely seen that today. The halves for the Dolphins. Now, I took a note in the first 40, and I said they do not look – they're not clicking. This doesn't look like it's working. Um, where does this play into Milford's situation? But I think they corrected that in the second 40, and so I'm not going to touch on that uh, too much there. Roosters. I mean, there's a lot of negatives you can pick in this game for the Roosters, but one that I can't go past, they were two out of six for completions 20 minutes into the second half. So in 20 minutes, they finished two sets of six. That's And they've always had low completion rates, but today was just shocking at 63%. Um, they have had such good attack in previous games with Joey Manu and then Jaguaria Hargraves as an enforcer to make a big hit and get the ball back where they could play themselves out of that low completion rate. Not today. They were they were never a chance. My talking point from this one was the egg and butcher sin bin. Certainly that sort of tackle where you come in at the legs has been cracked down on lately. Me personally, I'm okay as long as the contact is above the knee. Uh, but what do you think, Winnie? Do you think this is something the game should continue to crack down and get a little bit harder on? Do you think they should lessen it a little bit or kind of keep it where it's at? Yeah, it looked kind of bad, but then if you kind of look at it from his perspective, like what is he meant to do? Like it's a guy's walking in the tackle and he's chasing after him and he's obviously got to go low to bring him down. I guess you've got to be more conscious of really trying to 
grab their foot and yank their foot rather than just dive at the knee. Like, uh, I understand it. I think, it's again, it's player safety paramount. Uh, it reminds me of uh, your comment earlier. I totally agreed, actually, that um, Flano, you know, the sin bin was really soft and, and um, unnecessary in the Bulldogs game. So another thing that went against them. And sin bin hurt uh, the Roosters in this one because they were losing the game by 16 at the time. And you copped the sin bin as well. It was basically game over, although I believe they did score while down a man. So um, it didn't, you know, it wasn't decisive. They still had a bit of an opportunity to come back. But how about I just start by saying, my boys, the Redcliffe Kings, everyone knows I've been a fan of this club since day one. And we have all witnessed history today. How good. And I think if uh, Friday night didn't remind you already, the NRL is unpredictable. We had an 18 point underdogs, the Dolphins, today. Um, reminding us of that. We look at the games on paper, but the games aren't played on paper. You play them for a reason. And look, although you can say we got it horribly wrong because we're not going to take credit saying we predicted that score, it was shocking. Um, it was wild. You definitely said you'd take the plus 18 and a half, and I was really close as well. I definitely talked about the case for the Dolphins plus the points and probably just staying off it because I didn't know enough about the club. Um, that's one of a couple of games where I stayed away and would have had a winning bet. So, again, I think you're right. Like, a lot of shows throw out a lot of predictions. We shouldn't be taking credit for anything that we didn't tip because we do have the ability to share bets. If we don't bet it, we obviously didn't feel strongly enough, so we don't take the credit. So we will sit back and just applaud the Dolphins, um, who were down 12-6 in this game as well before scoring 22 unanswered points. Part of that was the errors for the Roosters after half time, But, yeah, you got to give credit to a lot of players. 1-17, to 17, they were so focused, fired up. They played through the Roosters all day. You know, a couple of errors early, I thought the halves, Katoa looking young. I thought even Gilbert had soapy hands. But what stood out to me was just their attention to detail, their determination and their physicality and the brutality of Felice Carfusi, who you already touched on, and he took home the inaugural uh, Arthur Beetson medal, well-deserved, and what a way to honour Artie in this game today, and then Marshall King really asking questions and making inroads in the Roosters' defence behind the forward pack that was going through the Roosters' middles. You look at, uh, obviously, the Bromwich brothers, you got what you expected, but uh, the GOAT, Mark Nichols and, and Connolly Lemuelu, both off the bench, both over 100 metres, both having a try as well. Um, again, you could name a lot of people, but how about Wayne Bennett? You've got to give him credit too because um, we talked about the fact that he would he would uh, play up the underdog mentality and that this squad had a few players that did have rep experience. I talked about how the forwards have all got rep experience. You kind of watch this game and you realise most of the back line does too. A lot of these backs played, you know, played in the Rugby League World Cup. So have we all underestimated the Dolphins? You know, that's the big challenge for me from a punting perspective. Back to the drawing board, I've got to reevaluate this team. I don't want to overreact because you talk about the emotion of the day. They're not going to be beating premiership contenders by double digits every week so no they can't replicate this every week but you looked at them they belong they didn't look like an expansion team they looked like a kind of a middle of the road nrl team so maybe the truth is somewhere in between maybe they could finish somewhere 10th to 13th rather than bottom four as almost all the pundits are predicted um on a roosters perspective you know how did they let this happen we again talk about how they often underdone early in the season and that was evident again today but a lot of things went against them. Uh, you said it, Manu Wirihagra's not there. Cheese got a very early HIA. Radley got a, a finger in the eye, I think, had to go off and get that checked when he came back on, got a nasty hit and ha was ruled out by HIA. So that's kind of key positions on and off. Uh, Tupo skied for a great bomb and a chance to cut the lead to six and then spilled it. You know, these are moments, and, and you mentioned the eager, uh, the Egan Butcher Sinbin. These are all moments that went against the Roosters. But the funny thing is, I I was talking to people this week. Uh, they were asking me how many games I thought the Dolphins would win. And I said, there's no doubt they'll be in a few games. But whether those young halves can actually find a way to win it, I've got to say in this game, it wasn't really a close game where the halves had to decide it. They were just um, dominant. They utterly deserved this victory and all credit to them. And as we reevaluate, um, you know, that their upcoming matches, I'm really fascinated to see what the bookies do as well because they were – as the highest plus 12.5 point underdogs against Canberra next week at uh, KO Stadium at Redcliffe, um, you have to think, even though the Raiders gave a good account of themselves this weekend, that that line's going to come down. So, again, look forward to Wednesday where we will preview round two 
and uh, the Dolphins. We're going to be very interested to see if they can back this performance up, that's for sure. That is going to be a really difficult game to tip, actually, just quickly off the top of my head. You mentioned in that uh, in there that the how even the NRL is and how each game can go either way. Well, there was actually a study done on this in 2019 that I found quite interesting where a bunch of statisticians, they went through and they found out the evenness, if you will, of every single worldwide major sporting league and the NRL. Like, like guys, think what we're talking worldwide. Like, there's like probably random leagues in Poland of soccer that are, um, you know, professional sport. We're talking every single professional league. The NRL was the most even. Um, so, you know, you can argue the salary cap is doing its job in that regard. And yeah, the Roosters, they are slow starters. We knew it, but we took them anyway. Um, and unfortunately, this time we got our tip wrong and we have to pay the price. Final if anything, game of- maybe, maybe the Roosters should be allowed a bit more salary cap so they can, you know, catch up with the rest of the competition because they couldn't even beat the expansion team today. So they might need to sign some new players. They might need to get Spencer Lenu early release maybe as well as Dom Young. I do agree. They should be allowed to, you know, sign a few more players. I, I was thinking, you know, Conor McGregor on a minimum contract with third parties <laughs> that equal $10 million outside of the cap from Uncle Nick. That sounds absolutely fair to me. Uh, or but, John Jones as well. Oh, Johnny Jones. What a performance today. Uh, one team that also had a performance today dare I say, the greatest performance today, the mighty Gold Coast Titans. We defeat the West Tigers 22-10. to 10. And one thing I'll say about this game is our defense really impressed me because the Tigers had us under a pump, under the pump, sorry, a lot of this game. Uh, Tigers' completion rate was relatively low to where they'd like it, but I thought they were playing expansive footy that suited their style for a lot of it, and they were playing that in their own end even, throwing the footy around, offloading, um, I, I was impressed with the Tigers today, even though they did lose by the 12 points there. The foreign combination with Dave Fafita caught my eye. Uh, Dave Fafita previously on the right-hand side last year. He moved to the left to play with Kieran Foran, although Kieran Foran did leave the field with 24 minutes to go with a knee injury. Um, so Titans fans collectively hold our breaths until we uh, hear the results from that. The Tigers' second-half tries. Now, they did come 20 minutes apart. Uh, but during that whole 20 minutes, I felt they had the Titans, you know, their foot on the throat, ready to score at any moment. And to the Titans' credit, we held on, um, and we somehow just kept turning up and defending that line. Our discipline wasn't where it needed to be today, and I've no doubt if the Titans don't correct that, then they will struggle in future games. There was eight to three penalty count, um, and a lot of those were just really silly. They just didn't need to happen. Uh, The talking points I've got from this one, Winnie, uh, I hate to put you on the spot with such a serious question, but the Titans are obviously a premiership dark horse, and I wanted to get your thoughts <laughs> on that, please. Well, people are saying holding their breath on four, and he certainly looked good, and he's always going to add that leadership, but you're pretty lucky that you had Campbell on the bench and that Brimo could slot into the halves. So I feel like there's instantly a solution there, um, whether or not he can play. So, um, look, can all four four Queensland teams make the finals. I mean, that could be a talking point out of the weekend. Um, I'm wondering how many times this season both our teams are going to win, the Dolphins and the Titans. Um, This is a a special day in that regard. Uh, Look, what was sad before the game, but after our preview pod was the loss of both for more. That hurts for the season. Doing an ACL in training the week of the season kickoff is um, is, is tragic, honestly. Uh, Another note for me was uh, Tigers choosing not to start Abby Coruscant. Um, which was curious. I know he wasn't starting those last couple of games for Penrith, but that was a little bit of a different story. He's captain of the Tigers. Uh, in, although it was the Titans that had the horror start, they kicked both their opening kickoffs out of the full. They had a dropout that didn't go 10. So, yeah, you were probably sitting there thinking, here we go. In fact, the Titans withstood that and found themselves leading 12-2 when Appy finally came onto the field and had to chase the game. And that was the halftime score, which is quite a low score considering that the point you made, that the Titans were playing enterprising footy. It was exciting to watch. They just couldn't nail that final pass. Again, something we touched on in our preview, to be expected because it's a new system, it's new coaches, new attacking coach. It's not all going to click from day one, and that's okay, to be honest. I know it's disappointing for the Tigers to lose at home again. That's, you know, their favourite to win, you know, in front of the Leichhardt faithful, but they're just going to have to have some patience. Um and, you know, you were probably nervous, Clarkie. You talked about those back-to-back Tigers tries. They were down, uh, I think, 18-6. They did score back-to-back tries, but Dewey missed both conversions. And then your man, who you tipped and take on Toppy, 
AJ Brimson, he, he strided away um, to, to kind of seal the game, although he didn't take the ball near the post, so they were still a little bit nervous. But extended that lead back to 12. Ultimately, uh, it was a winning lead. And, um, yeah, you, you can't complain anytime your boys get off to a win. And, and as the ladder currently stands, they're sitting in the top eight right now. And just for the punters at home, I just want to make it known, 100% record when it comes to take on toppy markets this year with Brimo. And I'm hoping to keep it that way for the punters as well. Uh, question regarding the Titans. Let's say, worst case scenario, Foran is ruled out for a couple of weeks. Do you move Jaden Campbell to fullback Brimson back into the halves? Or do you keep it how it is and bring Sexton back in? No, definitely I go Campbell fullback and Brimo in the halves. I kind of thought that was going to be their best combo. And if, if it was up to me, not saying I know more than Holbrook, but I would have maybe uh, had Foran as my halfback, you know. But, uh, you know, if that's not an option and they like Tanner Boyd and he didn't do anything wrong today, um, I think Campbell's electric. And I think Brimo is perfectly suited to play in the halves. He did score his try um, in this one once he had relocated to the halves. So, um, you know, another reason that we narrowed it down for a field of players that you could um, select where you did take Brimo was I liked the Titans in this one. So it's kind of another one I feel I left on the table, should have pulled the trigger and, and taken them, as with the Dolphins. Could have had a couple of wins today, but um, would have, could have, should have, I suppose. Definitely um, I'll be back in the lab, but definitely plenty of room to improvement room for improvement for myself. Um, but it is a long season, guys. Just like I said about, you know, Knights, most improved team and stuff. The Cowboys lost in round one a year ago to the Bulldogs and everyone already thought they were going to come last and look how they did. So nobody should um, should toss away all their hopes. You know, it's still so long to go and um, we will definitely strive to provide more good tips than bad ones over the course of this season if you stick with us. Most definitely. And back to your podcast, The Nine Punting Gospels. Uh, you know, you, you want to avoid those knee-jerk reactions and stay consistent over the long run to get the best possible results when it comes to punting. But we want to say thank you very much to everyone who has tuned in tonight. We're going to close off the show here. We will be back on Wednesday at 7.30 p.m. Australian Eastern Daylight Time with our round two preview. That'll include all the best bets and Winnie and I running through every game and how we're seeing it. If you want to keep up the punting discussion, you can on the Tripod group on Facebook. And if you want to see stats, injuries, teams of the week and more coming out of round one, then check out my page, Clarkie's Rugby League column. Other than that, I will see you all next week and I'll hand it over to Winnie to close out the show. Well, that was great fun, mate. Enjoyed it. Can't wait to chat again about round two on Wednesday. And by popular demand, I'm going to end the show by saying have a great week, everyone, and Lego!